Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Andrew Mueller. I'm uh, from Mansfield, Ohio, and I'll be talking with you guys tonight, reading the Word together, and I uh, just want to take some time here now to ask the Lord's blessing on that. So let's all bow in prayer together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank, thank Thee, Lord, for the blessing of the opportunity to be here at Eastern Camp, Lord, uh, to be together, spend our time together, Lord, be able to see our friends, and... Um, have a good time of fellowship with them, Lord, and take part in all the activities, Lord. And we thank Thee for so many opportunities to read Thy Word together, to sing these praises together, Lord, unto Thee. And we ask now that Thou wouldst be with us in this evening hour, Lord, that as we look at Thy Word, we pray that Thou wouldst remove, Lord, any distractions from this room, Lord, any tools of the devil trying to distract us, Father, any thoughts that would be in our hearts, Lord, trying to distract us. We pray that we can focus, that thou wouldst help us, Lord, as we dive into thy word to be alert. We just pray for that energy, Father. And we ask that thou wouldst be with us, that thy spirit would be working tonight in each and every heart, Lord. We all may have a different message we need to hear tonight. We know that thy spirit is capable of revealing that to each one of us individually, and we pray for that. We just ask that thy words would go forth in this hour and that hearts would be opened and softened, Lord, to receive the word. And we pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> I'd like to read this evening, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, out of St. John chapter 11. Gospel according to John chapter 11, very familiar account, and uh, as you're turning there, you've probably already talked about in your classes about maybe the term revival, what is revival, and uh, it's, uh, you can see it's bringing back to life, uh, one definition is bringing interest back into something or making something kind of popular again, uh, resuscitating, which is a complete bringing back to life, uh, reinvigorating. And uh, so, of course, that's our, our theme this week. Um, one thing I always struggle with as a, as a minister is even just preaching a sermon. I, I always want to try to make it applicable to everyone. And uh, I just you know, realize I need to give that up to God. And hopefully for everyone in here, there'll be uh, something we can take out of this account. And um, I'm not a big storyteller, as uh, those from Mansfield know. And, uh, but... I really want to rely heavily on this account that we have tonight because it's amazing uh, details that are shared here. We get such a personal look into our Savior, Jesus Christ, as a man on this earth. Uh, we get to see his emotions. We get to see his power, the miracles. And uh, so hopefully, as we read this here together and talk about it, um, you can kind of put yourself in this um, setting that you could picture these things taking place. So I'll just, uh, it's, it's like I said, it's a longer chapter, um, but I'm going to go ahead and read through the first 45 verses. I'll try to do that pretty quickly, but uh, hopefully clearly for you. St. John chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, 
This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou there thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, 
that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he and when he thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. May the Lord bless the reading of the word this evening. It's just such an amazing account seeing Jesus interacting with Mary and Martha, his disciples. And there's so many lessons that can be taken out of this chapter. Um, Different people in different stages of life. We can learn so much from this. And uh, there's a few I just want to touch on tonight. And I really want to look, uh, if you're looking in in your Bible, there's a lot of accounts there that are in red letters. There's a lot of times that Jesus said, and it's just, uh, to me, I always love reading the words of Jesus Christ and imagining Jesus Christ, the man that died on the cross for us, said these words here on this earth to these people. And imagine if I was standing there listening to that, or if I was one of those people that he was speaking to, how powerful that is to hear the words of Jesus Christ. And uh, thankfully, as they are recorded here in the Scriptures. And we look... You know, Lazarus' sisters sent for Jesus. They were troubled. He was sick. Uh, Lazarus was sick. And Jesus says, his response, if we look at his words, that in verse 4, the sickness is not unto death, but for what? And uh, those of you in Mansfield know that I, I love looking at the word but in the Scriptures because of how it changes a statement, how it changes the situation. It's uh, like an opposite word, Right? Uh, sometimes we think, well, I thought I was supposed to go this way, but I found out I was supposed to drive that way. And there's times in the Scripture, uh, one of specific ones sticks out to me, when Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, and he ended up at Egypt, and they came and uh, you know, were asking for forgiveness from him, and he was saying, um, you intended evil against me, brothers, but God intended this all for good. And we see how Joseph's life, even though he was put in the pit, he was put in jail how he was raised up uh, in Pharaoh's household and put above Egypt and now was able to save uh, his land during the famine and his family. He had that faith in God. And we see here that uh, they're concerned about Lazarus' sickness. And Jesus says, not to be concerned, but this is done for the glory of God. And that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So this is the reason. And we see that Jesus... I love seeing the emotion here, how much he loved this family, how much he loves uh, these people. And we recognize how much he loves each and every one of us. And hopefully you recognize that, again, knowing that uh, what he went through on this earth for us and how he gave his whole life sacrificially, how he, uh, what he went through on the cross of Calvary, the suffering he went through for us to shed his precious blood for us that we may each be saved. And we see that Jesus was called for in verse 3. And what's his response in verse 7? After, uh, interestingly, we'll get to that, waiting a couple days, two days. Okay, let's go. We've got to go see Lazarus. We're asked, I was called for. The time is right now. Let's go. So um, it says, let us go into Judea again. We see there's some risk involved in verse 8. The disciples said, you know, we've been there before. Don't you remember last time we were there? They wanted to kill you. They wanted to stone you. Are you sure you want to go back there? Let's, you know, 
Chances are it's not, maybe they're thinking, chances are not gonna be, it's going to be too late. Lazarus is going to be dead. But Jesus says, let's go. And he um, reassures them and, and shows uh, his faith in saying, you know, we're going to go. If a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there's no light in him. If he goes in the day, it's not going to be any issues. And um, he says in verse 11, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. And it's interesting here that um, whatever term he was using, maybe whatever he was referencing to, he says he's sleeping. What did the disciples say? Oh, no problem. He's sleeping. That's great. We're going to go. They didn't understand. We'll go. Jesus is going to wake him up. Maybe they're, I don't know if it occurred to them. Like, couldn't somebody else just maybe shake his shoulder and wake him up? Lazarus is just sleeping. He's going to be fine. And we have to uh, be careful and not let the devil trick us, right? How many times are we told to, you know, to ourselves or we tell ourselves or someone else, one of your friends might tell you when you're stressed out, uh, maybe when you feel a spiritual burden, you're going to be fine. It's not that big of a deal. This is nothing, right? And the devil tells us that. Don't go get help from somebody. Don't seek someone for counseling. Don't ask your parents for help. You know, probably chances are you might get in trouble for this or, right, you'll be fine. It'll all just smooth over. Have you heard this one? Uh, some words added here, but Genesis 3-4. It's okay, Eve, you're going to be fine. This fruit's not going to do anything to you. Specifically quoted, the serpent said to Eve, ye shall surely not die. You're going to be just fine. Did God really tell you there's going to be a problem? Right? And those are the things we need to be careful of. That subtle serpent, the devil, how he tries to trick us, how he may use uh, maybe even your peers or your peers at school. Everything's going to be fine. You don't need to uh, rely on God. You don't need to pray. Everything will be just fine. And we trick ourselves often because we're not willing to humble ourselves and fall on our knees. And I, I do this too sometimes. I have all these plans, how I can work everything out. Everything's going to be fine. But we need to fall on our knees and ask God for that guidance. We need to seek others for help and talk to others to find out. And we find out here, Jesus uh, hears some of this as his disciples. Are just, no big deal. We're going to go. He's going to wake him up. Jesus is kind of catching on and saying, okay, they think this is, uh, he's just sleeping. No big deal. Jesus lays it out plain. The Lazarus is not just sleeping. He's not well. He's not just going to be fine in the state that he is. And he lays it out plainly in verse 14. With a very simple yet clear statement, Lazarus is dead. You think he's sleeping? You think he's going to be fine? Let me explain it to you. Lazarus is dead. There's no doubt about it. And um, I believe this is the reason why Jesus waited two days to go. Jesus knew, uh, divinely I would say, that he knew Lazarus was going to be dead when he got there. And we read later some of the reasons um, when he's talking to his heavenly father. But Jesus, I believe in waiting those two days, gave, there's no shadow of a doubt that this is a miracle. right? Because if he would have gone, gotten there, you know, maybe even if Lazarus was asleep for 24 hours in a heavy sleep, right? they just shake him a little bit, wake him up. Everyone would have said, oh, what's the miracle here? He woke up a sleeping man that was very sick and, and very tired. We know people sleep a lot when they're very sick. So Jesus um, laid it out plainly to his disciples. Lazarus is dead. I am glad for your sakes I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. 
nevertheless, let us go unto him. I'm glad we weren't there yet because uh, to give this time, as I had said, for him, uh, for it to be clear. You need to recognize this evening that some of you in this room are Lazarus, spiritually. You are spiritually dead. If Jesus Christ walked into this room tonight, he could point out in this room who all is spiritually dead. You are dead. You are dead. And I think you know this, or hopefully it will be revealed to you in this evening, that Jesus Christ knows our heart, knows where we stand, in His eyes and God's eyes, and what our, uh, how much time we're taking to pray to God, to seek out that help, to seek out that relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you are not walking in Christ, alive in Christ, you are dead. And if someone asked Jesus, as plain as He said about Lazarus, He would say, you are dead. And if we are spiritually dead, that means that if you physically die in a state of being spiritually dead, that's not your last death. There's an eternal death of suffering. We read in Revelations 21.8, But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and the murderers, and whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Right? And some of these words in here, you might say, well, I'm not, I don't fall under some of those. those. There are some pretty bad ones in there. Right? Idolatry, sometimes we kind of mix up with. Yeah, we don't have a golden statue in our bedroom, probably. But there are things that we put before God, if we think about it. Some of you might be looking at them right now while I'm talking. Those are uh, distractions that we have in our lives. Right? There are those that are fearful because you don't have a vision for your life. You don't have God, uh, that relationship where you know where you're going, where you can have faith and hope in Christ. You may be unbelieving that God is even real, perhaps. Maybe unbelieving that Jesus Christ actually did die on the cross or that he was a real, real person here. And I want much better for you. I don't want you to have the Revelations 21.8 outcome. Because it's bad. And I I don't want to dwell on that tonight because um, that much. It's the truth. It's there. But I want the Revelation 21.4 for you. Talking about heaven. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Imagine that. Maybe in the last month, have you experienced any of these? Any crying? Um, maybe you've lost a loved one to death, and uh, thinking uh, perhaps they were a believer, now they're experiencing these joys. No sorrow. Have you been sorrowful in the last month? Have you had sorrow in the last week, last 24 hours for something? whether it be something huge, whether it be uh, some, maybe a spat here between you and some of your friends, you're having a little trouble getting over. Have you been in pain? I, I'm looking forward to get to heaven so I don't have to deal with this lower back issues I'm dealing with right now. Can you imagine a new body, a new life, rejoicing in heaven, singing praises with the angels, and being in the presence of Almighty God and not having fear for being in His presence, but joy. Joy in our hearts. 
That's, that's the Revelation verse I pray upon each and every one of you. And that, is, um, that outcome comes for those who believe, those who accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And we'll get back to the account here in John chapter 11 as we're talking about revival. And we see uh, in coming down to verse 17, Jesus came found out he had lain in the grave for four days already. Lain in the grave. Again, clearly dead. Right? There's no, uh, no question about could he have been in a coma. You know, they... He had grave clothes on. Somebody wrapped him up. I think they would have known if he was breathing or twitching a little bit or something. Lazarus was dead in the grave. There was a stone that had been rolled over it. And uh, there's this concern for Lazarus who's been dead for four days. And for the believers in the room, we have to ask ourselves, too, what kind of concern do we have for our friends, for our family that we love? Just how Jesus loves us, how Jesus loved Lazarus? Do we have a concern for those sitting next to us maybe that have been spiritually dead for a couple years now? Two, four, five years spiritually dead. And are we showing them the way to have life in Christ? Are we showing them the change that we've made, telling them about it? The great change that's gone on in our lives. Um, you know, talking about what, what revival means earlier, we have Lazarus dead here. Um, in this case, you know, we're not reading about a um, resuscitation, right? I believe I know of one person in this room that has been physically revived, resuscitated. And some of you have probably witnessed that. And maybe someone else that you know or know of has been physically revived through CPR, whatever means it was. And we think about that and think of the state and... Um, what happens in those situations? You know, what do you do if you see someone lying on the side of the road, lifeless? What would you do if you peer down into a swimming pool or a, a lake and you see someone down there? I don't, for us, I don't think we would wait two days like Jesus did because we don't have that kind of uh, time, right? There's, everything's about urgency and emergency, emergency situations. You jump in right away, you pull them out, you go through the procedures, you know, you call the emergency squad, whatever you know how to do, to start that bringing back the life process, you do it immediately, right? And how concerned are we for those around us that are spiritually dead? Are we thinking, well, another year at camp, maybe I'll talk to them on Friday, let, you know, not really get into it now, we got time. How, where's the concern level we have for our, our peers here that don't know Jesus? Do we recognize that they're going down a path of death and destruction? that they are spiritually dead? Do we have the same urgency we would have if we see someone physically appear to be dead? We wouldn't think a second of not trying to save their life. So how much are we praying for them? How much time are we taking to say, listen, these are the changes I've made in my life. Are you going to step in and talk to them? Are you praying for them? Are you perhaps comforting uh, their loved ones? You know how much grief goes in? I and burdens for those who don't know the Lord. How much your parents pray for you, uh, your friends, your family. You know, I love going to prayer meeting back home Wednesday nights. Uh, I was uh, at prayer meeting here Monday morning. And even though I probably couldn't maybe match your name uh, with your face, I know a lot of your names because they're in our prayer meeting board in Mansfield, Ohio. 
because you have a cousin that goes to church there or a, a friend that goes to church there. And they come and they put your name on the board every week. And we pray that Jesus Christ will come into your heart and that you can find Jesus Christ's salvation through him. And I love it. Nothing better than going to prayer meeting, that name on the board under the salvation column for years to go and their name's under the thanks column because they confess peace with Jesus Christ. And hopefully, in your case, your name is over in that thanks column. Hopefully it's not like some people where as 60-year-olds, we've been praying them for a long time, their name's finally over there. Hopefully you seek out Christ soon, today. But know that others are praying for you. We need to let people know that we're praying for them and comfort them and comfort those around them. And we see here, just as um, it says in verse 19, many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Right? We go to funerals, funeral homes to comfort the families for the great loss that people um, experience and go through. Same thing here. Um, this could be a whole sermon in itself. In verse 21, when uh, Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if that had been here, my brother had not died. Jesus, where have you been? Why weren't you here? Perhaps she didn't say it in that way. Maybe she's just making a statement. I know if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Uh, later on, others said, surely this man could have, uh, Jesus, if he can heal the blind, he could have let this Lazarus not die. But Martha's saying, if you could have been here, you know, there's a song saying he's four days late, but coming out on the other side, but he was just on time, right? And maybe, you asked your, maybe you've asked Jesus Christ in the last few years uh, during the you know, craziness of the world, where are you, Jesus? Where are you in all this, God? Where have you been? Where have you been in my life? Where Jesus has really probably been asking you, where have you been? I've been right here. You haven't been seeking me. You haven't been uh, coming and searching the Scriptures. You haven't been falling down on your knees other than in maybe specific moments where you start to freak out a little bit and don't know what else to do. Where have you been? Jesus is waiting at the door of your heart and knocking. <clears throat> we need to let Him in. Coming down to verse 25, which is um, really the main verse here, looking at revival, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he, were though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Jesus Christ is saying, those who believe in me, as we talked about, will never die. We'll have that Revelations 21.4 experience. Live a life of joy eternally. And Jesus Christ is saying, Believest thou this? And I'm asking you here today, do you believe this? Do you believe that, if you believe in Jesus Christ and what He's done for us, that you will never die? You will not be in the state of death. You have life eternally. Jesus Christ is asking His words right here, and He's asking you right now, Believest thou this? Do you believe this? And you need to ask yourselves that. You need to dig deep. Ask yourselves, do you believe that Jesus Christ has the power to revive you from being spiritually dead, to bring you to life, revive you and bring you out of your sinful state into a spiritual life? You need to ask yourselves, do you want Him to? Some of you may, may think you don't want that right now. And I pray even stronger for you. 
And if you're recognizing right now that you do want that, you just need to ask Him. Ask Jesus Christ. And He's there for you. Some of us, though, might be continually dragging ourselves through this world, through the mud, the muck and mire of this world. And always find ourselves down, saying, when are things going to change for me? When am I going to be able to do something right? When is this whatever it's going to be going to work out for me? We're always down, dragging ourselves through the mud. And when are we going to ask Jesus Christ to lift us out of that? To have a clean, pure life where we can have joy, not darkened by sin, not darkened by mud, not being dragged down and slowed down by quicksand going through that. In verse 32, we see the great love and emotion that Jesus Christ has. And again, I love seeing into the personality of Jesus Christ. This man, God, as a man here on this earth, seeing his emotions and the love that he has and recognizing the love that he has for us and realizing when Lazarus was dead and they were talking about it, think of Jesus Christ groaning. Have you ever heard someone groaning, whether they're in pain, agony, uh, you know, something... Now that in, in my role sometimes as a minister, I've, I've seen death more than I expected to. You know, being at the side of a hospital bed, being with a family member that witnesses their spouse of 50 years dying. And there's some groans that you have not experienced, that you've not heard. And this is the type of uh, thing that I imagine here. Jesus just, the love that he has that, and maybe even knowing the outcome that's coming, but knowing that Lazarus is dead. And I think of him thinking of each one of you, knowing, those of you that are dead spiritually, knowing that Jesus Christ groans for that, and seeing Jesus Christ, God, all-sovereign God, as a man here on this earth, reading this verse, Jesus wept. Imagine that. You know, we hear when... Christ hanging on the cross when he cries out to his Father, why has thou forsaken me? When he has, because he has our sin on his shoulders. If we picture Jesus Christ, maybe picture what did his face look like? What did his tears look like? You know, Jesus Christ is our personal superheroes. You know, we always think of, you know, maybe even you lift up people in your life, like your dads or whatever it is, being all super strong, always there for you. Your superhero. And there's moments, maybe you, in some kind of experience, you see that superhero break down in tears. And it impacts you differently than seeing your little brother crying or your little sister crying. And we think of Jesus weeping. And the reaction, the Jews said, behold how he loved him. Behold how he loves each of you. And the agony it must cause when we let him down. When I let him down, the agony... I must cause, and thankfully we have Jesus Christ to forgive us through his shed blood on the cross. What would we rather? What would I rather? Luke chapter 15, verse 10. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Joy, true happiness among the angels over one sinner that turns their life to Jesus Christ. We see how Jesus loves us. 
And He's not going to leave you dead on the side of the road. He's not going to leave you spiritually dead. We know that we all have a free choice in our lives. Honestly, we have a free choice to do anything that we want. There's consequences. I have a choice to drive 140 miles an hour if I want to. There's consequences. I could be put in jail. I could be killed by an accident. It's not a good choice to make. But when you're in a car by yourself, when you're uh, anywhere by yourself, we have a free choice to make. But of course, there's laws that we're supposed to follow. We could have a choice to break a law, but there's consequences. We have free choice in our life, and God gives us that choice. So Jesus, if he sees you dead on the road, and uh, spiritually dead, and this here, Lazarus cannot ask for help, right? But spiritually dead, you can wake up. You can ask Jesus Christ to bring you to life, to give you that spiritual life, that walk. You can cry out to him. There's many scriptures where we read, especially in the Psalms, we read of David crying out to God. And it takes action on our part. It takes belief on our part. Again, do you believe this? Do you believe and recognize that you need this in your life? That you need Jesus Christ? Something to consider in this evening. And we see an amazing account here. Jesus said in verse 39, Take ye away the stone. The words of Jesus Christ. Take away the stone. He had already talked to Mary and Martha. He already said that uh, Lazarus will live. And what happens? The doubts come. What does Lazarus' sister say? He surely stinks. I mean, imagine a dead person that, and back then things weren't, uh, things were done differently. Right? If you've ever uh, gone past a dead animal on the sidewalk or something that's been there for, let's say, four days, surely it stinks. Right? It's not enjoyable. And so I, I imagine there's a little bit like, are we, are we sure we're going to do this? Surely Lazarus smells rancid. And he's dead. He's been dead. And it's clear. Perhaps they're saying, he's too dead. He's been dead four days. What are we going to do if we roll the stone away? What's, what's going to happen? He's too filthy. What are your doubts? Are there things that uh, might be barriers or distractions to you in your walk with Christ, or even in beginning a walk with Christ, that you think, I'm not good enough for Christ. I'm too stinky. I'm too filthy. The things I've done are too dark and dirty. He doesn't want to have anything to do with me. This account dispels that myth. Because those there thought maybe Lazarus was a little too stinky. A little too dirty. Right? And we have those that struggle for years thinking they're not good enough. And that's right. None of us are good enough. None of us deserve God's grace. But it's for all of us. It's given and offered to all of us freely. And that's something we have to recognize. So nobody is too stinky, too dirty, done too much to ask Jesus Christ to save them from their sins. To ask Jesus Christ to bring you to life. To give you a life in Christ. We know that Jesus, you know, and especially back then, right, there's a lot of Jewish uh, traditions, laws, whatever it may be, or, you know, you don't, probably, I'm, it's probably something about opening tombs, I imagine. You know, you weren't supposed to even, I think, touch dead animals are on the side of the road or you know there's a big thing about leprosy you weren't supposed to get anywhere near lepers we know jesus christ said bring them to me i'll heal them he healed the lepers everybody else was 
you know, like the, I think it was like a 10-foot rule or something, like don't get near me, right? <clears throat> Social distancing to the extreme. Jesus Christ brings me, touched them, healed them. And here we see that there's, um, same way here we see here, there's no state that you could be in that Jesus Christ does not want to come into your heart if you open door and make room for him. We look at Saul, persecuted the churches, killing, dragging believers out, trying to shut down the churches. The change in his life when Jesus Christ met him on the road to Damascus. And look at all that he did as the Apostle Paul. What a changed life can do. How many lives, churches, thousands of people, millions of people, we think of what, what the work that Paul did, how that, right? We do a lot of things that we do and understand because of what Paul started through the direction given to him by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so it's amazing to think how a life can change. <clears throat> Jesus addresses those doubts even here and then thanks his Father in verse 41. He says, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast seen me. Jesus Christ was there doing this work, the layout of how long it took him to get there, the events that happened, the things people were watching. We know Jesus has healed people from a distance before. You know, I think it was the, a father had come about his son, said, go home, your son's better. It said around that same time he found out that that's when his son was healed. Jesus could have done that, but this was for the glory of God that all could see and believe. And Jesus interceding on our behalf to the Father, interceding on Lazarus' behalf to the Heavenly Father. And this is how he intercedes and pleads for us. And he cried into that tomb. He said, the stone was rolled away. It was a cave, it says. Cried into the darkness of that cave, a hollow, carved-out rock. Lazarus, come forth. You can imagine the people standing there, knowing this person has been dead, just looking at that hole in the wall, waiting. Some probably saying like, well, yeah, right, okay. Yeah, come on, Lazarus. Thing, this isn't going to happen. I'm sure there's some there that, who already believe, their eyes peeled, saying, I can't wait for this. Right? And we look sometimes, can't wait to see the things God's going to do in our lives or in the lives of others. The change is going to take place. And Lazarus, who was completely dead, was called to. <clears throat> you have to recognize that Jesus Christ calls into the darkness of your heart to come forth. Daniel, come forth. Sarah, come forth. Fill in the blank. Come forth. Come out of your dead state. I have life for you, Jesus Christ says. He's the one that can revive, that can heal, that can cleanse you of your sins and bring you to life and give you life. And the miracle that was done here, he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about the napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary had seen these things, which Jesus did, and they believed on him. He that was dead came forth. And I talked about earlier that muck and mire that you keep treading through. It's tiring. It's tiring to drag ourselves through that or to be dragged maybe by others. We see a prayer 
In Psalm chapter 40, the first couple of verses says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. Again, crying out to Him. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Being in darkness, in the muck and mire, crying out. And what happened? The Lord lifted him out of that pit and set him on a solid rock. And we can be lifted out of whatever pit of darkness you're in, whatever you're struggling with. Jesus Christ is so ready to pull you out and set you on a solid rock of Jesus Christ so that you can have joy, so that many can see it and praise be given to God. And we have a new song put in our mouth. The change has been in your life, and hopefully you've seen the change in others around you and are wondering about that. Well, last time we were at camp, three years ago, I remember this person getting in a lot of trouble or causing a lot of issues. Well, look at them now. like They're singing with their whole heart, praising God. I see them praying on their own when somebody doesn't even tell them to. The changes that take place. Ask them about that. How did you get to this point in your life? And this is important that we share these testimonies. And it was important for these Jews here to see this take place. So they knew that Jesus Christ was the one that came and changed Lazarus from a dead state to a living one. So Jesus Christ is calling you. We need to recognize that He can give you a new heart. He can give you a changed life. And again, for the believers here, just a couple minutes, um, we need to be revived. We need to recognize how important it is for us to share our testimonies, to tell our friends what Jesus has done in our lives. Hopefully, they're seeing a change in our lives. We need to, to take time to share with them and how important that is and our walk with Jesus Christ to share that and and ask ourselves, is the fire still burning brightly in me? As brightly as it was that day I gave myself to the Lord and when I really wanted to dive in and learn more, am I still doing that? What are we talking about in our free time? And do you need to be revived, brought back to life, be reignited? You know, of course, uh, we all know whatever nation we're here from today, there's revivals that need to take place in our nations. And we need our young people, especially because there is a lot going on in the younger settings that's being pushed in the younger settings where you need to be ready to stand for your faith, to be revived, to have that fire burning brightly, to stand up. If you look in the Acts of the Apostles, how much they had to stand up against opposition. Whether that opposition is your friends, your teachers, your principals, your co-workers, anybody. Are you grounded in truth, ready to stand and to fight for Jesus Christ, to share your faith? We need to be examples to our peers. Look around this room. People sitting next to you, people you've been walking around with the past couple days, do they know you're a believer? Did you tell them about that experience that you made? And are you willing to tell them later today? Share what Jesus Christ has done and what they can have and just tell them you're praying for them. Have a prayer with them. Let them experience that with you and know the love that you have for them. Let them know how you had to sacrifice some things, how totally worth it it is, so that we can have a life more abundantly in Jesus Christ than what we would have planned for ourselves. We can have an abundant, full life, full of joy. <clears throat> we may need to uh, exp- express and for ourselves, remind ourselves, we need to be willing to say no. Uh, there might be some things this week, believers, at Eastern Camp, that some people are want to include you in. Conversations, jokes, whatever it may be. We need to be willing to say, no, recognize I have the same mind as Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 4, 
It says, He no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we used to walk in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they, maybe our friends, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. It's okay for your friends to think you're strange a little bit. If you say, ah, I'm not going to go do that. Christ expects more of me in this situation. I live for Jesus Christ now. What a testimony that can be to be willing to say no. And asking ourselves about revival. Where, where, is our, uh, where is our walk right now with Jesus Christ? Are there things that are getting in the way? You know, I thought uh, you probably all play would you rather a little bit, I'm assuming, with your friends. You know, asking ourselves some questions. What would you rather do? What are you rather doing right now? How is our, um, you know, things in our lives? Would you rather uh, go to a, your school event, sports event, maybe pick up an extra shift at work, make a little extra money on a Wednesday night? Or would you rather go to a church service, be, be surrounded by believers? Would you rather get up 45 minutes earlier on a Sunday morning, go to Bible class at church before the morning service? A little extra Bible time. Or would you rather get that 45 minutes of sleep? Yeah, Sunday is my only day to sleep in. i got other things going on other days. School, work. How about on a Saturday? Would you rather wake up two extra hours early before 10 or 11 o'clock to go to your soccer game or your, uh, some other event? It's amazing how early we can get up on a Saturday to do some things. Work, because we have to be there. An event that's fun, be with our friends. But... And, you, and maybe you would rather get sleep, but you still get up and go do those things. Right? Well, how is our, uh, our church attendance? How is our time in the Word praying together? Surrounding ourselves with believers. Would you rather be with believers, with the youth group, than be at a school event or a party or a football game, whatever it might be? Who are we surrounding ourselves with? Who, who are we being encouraged by? Who are we sharing our emotional thoughts with? Is it someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ, that doesn't know how to rely on Jesus Christ to be filled in that way? Or is it a spiritual companion that can say, the answer, let's pray together about it. Let me keep you in check on that. Let me keep you accountable to that. What would we rather do? How important are these things to us? And I'm encouraged because I've been seeing a shift lately in our own congregation with some of the young people making it more of a priority to be together in the house of God, worshiping, praying, fellowshipping, growing. So we need to assess uh, how we are spending our time. Where are we getting our support from? Where are we, would we rather spend time reading the Word or seeing what our 600 friends on social media are saying they ate for breakfast yesterday and putting a picture of their spoon in their soggy cereal? Not even a picture of themselves. It's interesting, actually, in a way. But think about it. What, what's filling our minds? And I'm, I'm not immune to these things. Right? I, I get distracted in things as well. We need to check ourselves. So let's think about that. Recognize we need revival. When people ask us, oh, what did you do last week? What did you do last weekend? I went the whole week of church camp. Tell them about your schedule of your day. They're going to be amazed how much time you put in to worshiping and uh, filling your lives with Christ and with revival and being able to tell people. What, what do we tell people? I can't go. I need to go to church on Sunday. Or are we, sorry, I get to go to church on Sunday. I can't do those things with you. I get to be surrounded by my family. 
I, need to, I get to be encouraged by my family, by my Heavenly Father, and sing praise and give thanks to Him for all that He does for me. Let's be honest with ourselves. Assess what our distractions are. Find out ways that we can reduce those, remove them. Ask God to show that to you. My friend outside of Christ, as we read, we need to recognize the truth. If you're living in sin, are you spiritually dead? Do you need to be revived? Do you want revival? Do you, do you recognize the death that you're in here in this, in this walk on this earth? Recognize that you have the great physician, the great healer that can revive you out of any level of death you find yourself in, no matter how stinky, how long you've been dead. Jesus Christ is there waiting for you with open arms to accept you, to bring you out of that pit, what you might feel is a bottomless pit. His arms go so deep, and he can pull you up out of that and put you on a solid rock of Jesus Christ. It's my prayer that you ask Jesus Christ to pull you out of that pit this evening. May the Lord add his blessing. I've asked my father-in-law to come close with a prayer. <clears throat> Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that the account that we read about this evening is not a one-time event. Well, that for all those that are dead in the tomb of their own choosing can be called forth. And we're thankful that this evening, in this place, in this moment, our Savior says, come forth. And if we will answer, yea, Lord, I'll come forth. All the chains that hold us will be broken. We thank Thee and we praise Thee. In Jesus' name, amen.